0: Welcome to the podcast of Lancaster Brethren in Christ Church, located in Lancaster, Pennsylvania. LBIC is a community being transformed by the love of Jesus, sharing this love with all people. We want this podcast to be an extension of our community and a connection with familiar voices. Together we want to think about how to follow Jesus in our particular moment. So enjoy the podcast. We're grateful to have you join us as a part of the LBIC family.
1: Uh, If you have a writing utensil, get it out a while. If uh, there's not enough pens in the pew backs, um, maybe get out your phones and open up the notes app or something like that because I'm going to give you a minute or two of an assignment where there's going to be awkward silence. Maybe Jeremy can play some wonderful music or something in the background. I don't know. Um, But I want you to reflect on a question as we begin this morning. Uh, So today's kind of an elementary sort of day, um, but it's a really important sort of elementary day to be thinking about this particular question. All right, so writing utensils in hand, phones, uh, notes app opened. Um, You can write down just in bullet form. You can maybe do a mental map with a circle and things coming out of that circle. Uh, You can draw a picture if you want to. you guys here in the front row, teens, uh, you guys can talk to each other if you want to about it. But here's the question, and you get a minute or two to write about, think about. Ready? What is the gospel? Do-do-do-do. Well done, Jeremy. I'm just, just, This is good, pensive music. Just one more minute. Finish up your thought and let's uh, let's dive into the text that we have this morning, which has the word gospel in it several times, but the thing is it's not defined, and so we bring in some Like Ling was talking about this morning in Sunday school, we bring in presuppositions. We bring in what we've heard have been taught before as to what the gospel is. And so uh, keep those things that you've written down in the back of your mind as we think about what Paul is writing to the church that he planted. So this is 1 Corinthians 9, verses 16 through 23. For when I preach the gospel, I cannot boast since I am compelled to preach. Woe to me if I don't preach the gospel. If I preach voluntarily, I have a reward. If not voluntarily, I'm simply discharging the trust committed to me. What then is my reward? Just this, that in preaching the gospel, I may offer it free of charge, and so not to make full use of my rights as a preacher of the gospel. Though I am free and belong to no one, I have made myself a slave to everyone to win as many as possible To the Jews, I become like a Jew to win the Jews. To those under the law, I become like one under the law, though I myself am not under the law. So as to win those under the law. You follow that? Read that a couple times. To those not having the law, I became like one not having the law, though I am free from God's law, but am under Christ's law. So as to win those not having the law. To the weak, I became weak to win the weak. I have become all things to all people, so that by all possible means I might save some. I do this for the sake of the gospel, that I may share in its blessing. So what is the gospel? And this might be one of those questions that we might think, I don't really need to ask this. I should know this by now. But one of the things that I, I enjoy about faith uh, is thinking about faith. I always like to, as my, one of my mentors used to say, I, I like to noodle with things, right? I like to noodle with things. I like to think about the things that we think we know that we know. Or invite us to think about how to think about them differently. So it's kind of like that elephant, right? Rather than just seeing, uh, we see the one part of the elephant, but then you go around and you uh, are, are see the whole kind of thing. And so this is what we need to do, and I would suggest that, that uh, we want to do as we grow as disciples in Jesus, is continue to think about the things that we think we know in our faith. One of the movements that we want to, to make as people of faith is to move what we think we know from the head to a deeper knowing to the heart. Um, and so we want to think about uh, this term gospel this morning. Uh, in in Pop Christian culture, I guess you could say, there's this thing that's going on now, it's called deconstructing, and, and uh, there's a certain uh, segment of deconstruction that, that just wants to not examine everything to learn from it, but just kind of to blow everything up and then to take the pieces that you want. This is not what I'm talking about in terms of being thoughtful about faith. However, I do think that deconstructing is actually a part of faith. Because when you deconstruct something, it, it's kind of like the, the uh, motivation behind it. When you deconstruct something, you're, you're breaking it apart to look at it more carefully. To put things back together, not to blow things up. And I think that's a differentiation. Right? We want to deconstruct things. We want to pick things apart in order to look at them and then how they fit into the whole. And so we want to be thoughtful And I think this is a good practice of us as followers of Jesus is to continue to think about the things that we think we know and also to continue to have dialogue about those things with one another so that we might know more deeply. Uh, In in 2011, Scott McKnight wrote a a book called The King Jesus Gospel. I put it as a reference for those of you who are readers there. Uh, I would highly recommend it. You could probably get a good use copy for not as much money as it was one day. Um, But here's what I wrote in, in the margin when he asked the question at the beginning of his book, what is the gospel? So here was my response at that time in 2011. God reconciling the world to himself, making all things new. The margin was small, so it's a short definition. And today, 13 years later, I would say yes, and... Uh, when Paul mentions the term gospel, he doesn't give a definition to it, and so this is what we want to explore this morning: what we think the gospel is and means. If you've been around the church for any uh, amount of time, uh, and and probably this is, this might be across traditions uh, too, and nobody's ever challenged you to to think. And, and to kind of lay it out on the table and think about what the gospel is, you might have written something like this. I'm a sinner. Jesus died for me on the cross. And if I believe Jesus, I'm forgiven, and I will go to heaven when I die. And if this is how you have defined the gospel in the short time that I gave you to reflect Uh, that's that's not anything to feel bad about as we move on because we're going to like a balloon like the balloon would be this small we're going to try to blow that up over the course of the next few minutes so uh, don't feel bad because that's most of the time within the church context that's how we talk about gospel is that I'm a sinner Jesus died for my sins if I believe in him and ask for forgiveness I'm going to have eternal life that was uh, what was written on this little booklet that I signed on May 31st, 1986. Uh, On the back, this is what it, it says. This was my confession of faith in 1986. I would have been eight years old. Not quite, seven and a half, all right? Dear Jesus, this is what it reads on the back of it. Dear Jesus, I believe you died for me. Thank you for being my savior. I'm sorry for my sins. I know God has forgiven me because I believe you died for me. I know I'm a member of God's family because I believe that you're my savior. And the book itself is just interesting to read. I was reading through it again as as you guys were writing your definitions down. I'll let you look at it if you want to later. There's a few things to notice though here about this understanding or definition of the gospel. Uh, The first being that the focus and the problem that that, uh, this understanding is giving or centered on is the problem of sin. That's a very Western idea where the Eastern idea, the Eastern Orthodox idea would be that the problem that we're dealing with, that scripture is dealing with, is not sin, but death. Death is the ultimate enemy of God. And in, in Western Christianity, sin has become the focus. Uh, The other thing that we would notice would be that the focus is on me or the individual, what Jesus has done for me. And the scope then of the story is limited in, uh, in, in the biblical sense to the life, the death, and the resurrection. Actually, mostly just the death and the resurrection of Jesus. And so the scope of the story, which is pretty big, becomes very small. The implications of this kind of gospel... Uh, are eternal, like uh, more focused on the world to come and not the world as it is. And so it can become disconnected from present reality. What's the significance beyond beyond some existential crisis of what's going to happen to me when I die? What is the significance of it now? And lastly, there's no implicit demands of discipleship, or that is to say transformation. It's very decision-based, decision-focused. So here's what I'd suggest this morning the, the gospel as we talk about it this way is really dealing only with salvation and it's not really the gospel. So salvation is part of the gospel. Okay, it's part of the gospel, but the gospel is not salvation. Okay, if we only focus on salvation, it's a very small piece and a very important piece. But nonetheless, a small piece of the gospel story. The way that we speak of it in this case largely has to do with us. And it's about our lives. But what I want to suggest this morning is uh, that the gospel is really our stories being caught up in the larger story of God the gospel or the good news is a much larger story that culminates in the cross in the life death and resurrection of Jesus but that cannot be separated from the larger story of the scripture it is meant to be with understood within that larger story from genesis to revelation the gospel then is the entire story okay so if you're thinking okay then what is the gospel the gospel is the entire story Starting with creation, moving into chaos and, and what we would call the fall or term as the fall and, and moving right through Genesis chapter 11 uh, through the chaos that happens there to the chosenness of the covenant of the people of God beginning with Abram, to kings, to exile, to the prophets, to Christ, to the spirit, to the church and what will be the consummation that breadth of everything is the gospel and what we normally call the gospel is salvation which is a part of that bigger story. I would also say that the gospel is intimately connected with a people. All along God has desired to form himself a people who would demonstrate who God is to the world. And the beautiful thing and why Jesus is central to the gospel, absolutely crucial and important. Jesus is central to the gospel because Jesus is the fullest revelation of who God is and what God is like. If we want to understand what God is up to throughout the entire story, we're looking specifically to the person of Jesus to understand the scope of the story. And just like Jesus does with his disciples, we're invited to become a part of the Uh, of that story to become students of Jesus and to be formed as God's people which would be the church. When we talk about uh, the gospel only in terms of salvation the focus is on a decision where the gospel is actually focused on discipleship and becoming a certain kind of people. Discipleship is the ongoing work of transformation by the story and to the story that centers on the person of Jesus. And all of us follow a story. All of us follow a story. The gospel that Paul gives to the Corinthians was a counter narrative to the kind of story that they were living. If you remember what Krista said last week and what I had talked about the, the two weeks previous, Corinth was a crazy city. It was kind of like an anything goes, rootless sort of city. And so if you're a Christian, and Paul goes into the context of one of the largest cities in the Roman Empire at the time, and try, just as this one individual person, maybe with a couple friends, trying to plant a church in this city that is, is just confounded by chaos, right? All the idols and all the gods that Chris and I had talked about over the last couple weeks are present there. Can you imagine trying to make sense and, and, and hearing that, that gospel story? Of the person of Jesus fulfilling the history of Israel in the chaos of all of the other gods that are going on. Like, this is a counter-narrative. The gospel is a counter-narrative dropped into the midst of this city of Corinth. And people take to it. People listen to it. And a church forms around it. But it's not like that counter-narrative ever stops. Like the church that was formed there that Paul tries to disciple is constantly being bombarded with another gospel, with other stories, with counter-narratives. And all of us live by a narrative. All of us live by a story. And I would say that it's not just true of Corinth, but it's true for all of us, and it would probably be helpful for each one of us to identify what the counter-narratives are that bombard our gospel narrative of creation to redemption the whole bit what are the counter narratives how do we identify those things because the same thing happens in our lives right we don't believe in a vacuum we believe with counter narratives calming at us constantly we are bombarded constantly the information overload impacts our formation impacts your formation it impacts how you think about the story, how we think about the story. And all of us follow a story, and so it's important for us to think about and discern the stories that we're listening to and being told. I've been listening to a fantastic uh, podcast called The Surprising Rebirth of God. It's, it's, um, it's long-form journalism on uh, a, a guy named Justin, uh, I can't remember his last name, um, but does interviews uh, with former new atheists who have come to Christianity uh, recently, like within the last several years? And so, you know, atheism believe the, that there is no God, that there is no transcendent and those kinds of things. And, and what they've found Uh, part of the podcast of what I listened to last week was, there was just no story that was coherent enough to hold the meaning and the purpose of life within the new atheist framework. Uh, One of the comments was so great. They were like, the only thing that was holding us together as a community was what we were against. Right? There is no God, and that concept... uh, that concept of the disintegration of God, which is very Nietzschean, if you go back in history, um, that, that concept was the thing that was holding us together. But then what, what's left once that narrative, which has shaped the world for the last 2000 years, what happens when that narrative goes? Well, you have to make your own up. And like in the city of Corinth, you would pull from here, or from here, or from here. And, and like people do now, you still pull from here, from here, and from here. But you know what? It's incredibly overwhelming to try to make sense of the world on your own. You have no perspective. You might think you have perspective, but you have no perspective. Like, it is oppressive to try to write some narrative that makes sense of everything on your own. And this is what many of the new atheists are, 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 are facing. One of the ways they're coming at it is from the side, like historic Christianity and the way, and, and, and they're very clear to say, yeah, the church has screwed this up. Absolutely. But they also see how there is a cohesive narrative that makes sense of things that they weren't able to figure out on their own. It's really, really fascinating. The surprising rebirth uh, of belief in God, if you're looking for a podcast to listen to. We're gathered here because we believe in a story, and it's not, it's not a make-believe story. This is something that we hold true. Uh, the story is true, and it's an act of faith. It is a severe act of faith to believe this thing that has been going on for so long. But we're here today because we believe this gospel story, because the story of the story of God taking on flesh in the fullness of the person of Jesus, fulfilling this long uh, story of Israel. We're here because this story shapes our lives, and one of the things that we do as disciples of Jesus, and as another awesome podcast, I'm just plugging podcasts this morning, the Bema podcast, fantastic Um, talks about trusting the story. Trusting the story. I did, as I was sitting here this morning, I want to talk to everybody for like a minute and a half who is 24 years old and younger. Right? It's a really, really hard thing to come up with your own story. There's a story that... Is uh, that, uh, that has an invitation for you to find meaning and make sense of life out of. And the thing is, as we grow up, we feel like this pressure that we've got to find ourselves. All, and it's fine if you find yourself. But find yourself in the story. You don't have to make one up. And this story is a beautiful story to find yourself in. And I think what you're going to find is that it, it it doesn't answer every question, but it holds the water, so to speak. Like it, it holds things in such a way that you you will spend your life um, you will spend your life finding your life in the story. It never ever ever gets old. And it might not just be for 24 and younger. Uh, in Sunday school, we were just talking about brain development, how it stops at twenty four um, there couldn 't be some of you who are fifty six uh, or older who are still trying to write your own stories and friends it 's an exhausting effort it 's an exhausting effort. I remember. Just in seminary, um, one of the, uh, in, in post-modernity, modernity, um, the big thing that people were talking about was we're just getting rid of the overriding narrative, the meta-narrative, the big story. Nobody wants anything to do with a big story anymore. That didn't last very long because there's a resurgence of the fact that the big story's never gone away. You might have just walked away from the big story. You don't want to uh, have anything to do with the big story, but the big story still holds everything. And what we want to do, friends, I think that's one of the the tasks of the church is to steward the story over all of the ups and downs of whatever culture is, is, is doing. We steward the story. We're people of the story. And we share the story. We share the gospel. Now, here's the thing. If you're like me and you just heard your pastor say we share the gospel you're like Ugh! because it's like Jane do you know that Jesus died for you and I really need you to make a decision in like 30 seconds because that's how we've been trained to think about the gospel we've been trained to think about it to get somebody to a point of decision right it's very narrow we're trying to get them to the point of salvation, which is important. Okay, don't hear me saying that it's not important. We're not salespeople, though. We're not trying to twist, and, and this is where churches went awry. We use fear, right? We use fear in order to jolt people to make the decision. But then we don't really do that great following up to say, well, what's that make a difference in my life in here and now? We share the gospel, but it's not that. That might come along the way. But I want to suggest primarily that when I talk about or when we hear, when we think about what it means for us to share the gospel, is this, we're storytellers. You and I are storytellers. We tell the story of Jesus, but we tell the story of God's whole plan and work. And, and friends, it, we find our lives in this story. Like part of, our, part, part of sharing the gospel with other people is, is helping them find their story within this larger story of the gospel. And so there's, I mean, there's themes of exile in people's life, right? Like those are things that we feel. We feel exile. We're doing a Sunday school class on suffering. And it was amazing all the presuppositions that we have and we talked about in suffering this morning about presuppositions we have about how we think about God and we think about suffering. And I thought, as Ling was presenting these things, man, not that in in relation to presuppositions, I'm like, Jesus as the suffering servant, like, contradicts everything that we're saying in these presuppositions right suffering we have we don't have a, a, an answer or resolution but we have the god of the universe who takes on flesh and bone and enters into suffering right there's so m- there uh, i don't know if there's any aspect of our life that we cannot find in this story and so when we think about gospeling when we think about sharing the gospel Part of it is getting into and helping, uh, uh, seeking to understand other people's stories. Other people's pain points. Not, and here's a trajectory thing, right? Not so you can get them to find God, but so you can help them understand how God has entered in. Massive difference. Massive difference. The trajectory of the gospel story is not what I'm doing to get there. It's what God has done to be here. That's gospel. And that's this whole thing, is what God is doing here. It's about God. The gospel is about God. It's not about you. It is not primarily your story. It is about what God is doing. And what God is doing is good and beautiful. We're storytellers. Listen to how Paul tells the story, how he goes about it, verses 19 and following. Though I am free and belong to no one, I have made myself a slave to everyone. Notice that posture. He writes about it in Philippians 2, too, about Jesus who becomes a slave among us. To the Jews, I became like a Jew to win the Jews. To those under the law, I became like one under the law. To those not having the law, I became like one not having the law. To the weak, I've become weak. I've become all things to all people so that I might by some means save some. This is so counterintuitive, isn't it? Think about our discourse. Not just within the realms of the church or around the salvation or the gospel, but just think about our discourse and how we talk about ideas. Right? We lob—it's just like bombs now, quite in some ways, quite literally. We lob truth bombs over to some people. We have postures of fear towards other people. The goal is to get them to think like me. There's no dialogue. We try to control and convince people how right we are, how wrong they are, and fear. Friends, pay attention to how much fear is underlying in a majority of the conversations that we're having in society. The gospel does not have that basis of fear as its groundwork or its framework. In 1 John it says perfect love casts out fear. Paul doesn't tell the story in that kind of way. What Paul does is plant churches and then he lives among people. He doesn't just say, hey, let's get to a decision. He says, let's learn how to live this out together in this pagan city. I'm going to spend time with you. And then when I leave, we're still going to dialogue about this back and forth, and it's going to be really messy, but we're going to still press forward to find ourselves within this story. The gospel is a story that's not just to be told, but it's to be embodied. And this is why Jesus is gospel. This is why we have four gospels. That um, If you ever feel the pressure to just describe the gospel really briefly, just say, I, I can't really do that because Matthew took 28 chapters, and it takes a while to read. Right, Like it takes a while to talk about this because it's rich and because it's full. But the gospel is embodied in the person of Jesus. That's one of the most beautiful things about Jesus is this message that Jane read from the prophet Isaiah. And if you go into the other passages of scripture that we have for this morning that are given to us in the lectionary, you have the Psalms who are, 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 are speaking good news, right? Because that's what gospel is good news of what God is doing. The Isaiah passage is good news of what God is doing. The gospel passage for today uh, talks about the story of Jesus healing Peter's mom, and then all of these people from the whole town just crowd the house, and Jesus just spends the night healing them. That's good news. All of this is good news, and it's embodied in the person of Jesus. And just as it's embodied in the person of Jesus, it's meant to be embodied in us as well. We're supposed to live this in our lives. This is to be our story. Oh jeez, I was just gonna. This is my story. This is my song. Anyway, sorry, I digress. I don't know. I don't know another story that's so full of hope as the Christian story, as the gospel story. And I love, I love, I love how Paul goes about it. He is Jewish. And he he is also a minister to the Gentiles. And so he uses these different parts of his humanity and seeks to share his humanity with the people that he's ministering to. Not as one who is superior to them, but he uses slavery language. He makes himself subservient to them. This is a beautiful way to live out the gospel, right? I think, what happens if the church lives out lives of such beauty that become convinced? Wait, that happened, actually. This is why the movement took off. Because while everybody else was fleeing diseased cities, Christians go in as nurses, as doctors, as healers. This is what we read about in the New Testament. The life that they live amongst themselves draws people to this different narrative, this counter-narrative, this gospel narrative. Their lives are the living testimony of what the gospel is. Paul ends in verse 23. I do this all for the sake of the gospel, that I may share in its blessings. For the sake of the gospel, that I may share in its blessings. Our interpretive community this last week, uh, one of the last questions we asked ourselves and we, we talked about for a minute, was just, what, what are the blessings of this gospel? What are the blessings of this story? And I asked uh, permission, I, I rarely... Uh, use people's names, but I used her name a couple times, Ling, because um, she taught Sunday school this morning too, um, she said, I'm, I'm, I'm alive. And if, if you remember her, her testimony and what she shared during, um, during Advent season, she just told the story of growing up in the slums of Hong Kong, and, and part of the blessing for her was that she was alive, is alive. I, uh, Brian and I came to Hospital Church's one-year anniversary last night, and um, I mean, this—I have never seen such a diverse community of faith. But their reality is the same way. I mean, person after person, I'm not shooting up anymore. I'm not—I'm not drunk anymore. I'm not—all these things that they've been delivered from. They're alive because of the gospel. Sometimes I think we lose that sense of immediacy and desperation. Like there is that component, man, we need saved. Absolutely. But then our lives become a part of this bigger story. It's not just about what God's done for me. It's about my life getting caught up in God's story. And so for some, it's just the fact that I've, I've, I've been rescued from this dramatic thing others of us talked about just how we've seen transformation happen in the life of people and and some of that transformation and and this is what discipleship is is just ongoing transformation it's those pieces and parts of uh, it's almost sometimes you can think of discipleship as the head and the heart kind of meeting right because we as the church talk a great game about the love of god We sing about it. But there's so many of us that look in the mirror at ourselves and do not see ourselves as loved by God at all. Because it hasn't moved from here to here. We're still trying to earn our way to God. Right? And so the blessing of the gospel is when this this story starts to bear fruit in our lives. Right? Where we experience its reality, where it's not just some words that some pastor, some preacher, or some writer is talking about, but it's something that we're experiencing, that is real, and making us new. It's an incredible thing to be around, folks, when the lights come on, like when God is just it almost turns on the switch, and there's some understanding that they are loved, or. What happens before when you're sitting with somebody and they're dealing—they're dealing with the brokenness of their life, and they, they can't run from it anymore. There's something beautiful and sacred about sitting in those spaces, because you can find those spaces in the gospel story too. We're meant to share in its blessings. the blessing of how this story really takes shape and is fleshed out in our lives and in our community. God bless you. So friends, the story of the gospel is big and majestic and beautiful and can hold everything. Does it bring resolution to everything? No. Because as we're talking about in that Sunday School class, like suffering has no resolution. We just have to sit with it and we can sit with it in good ways. But the Gospel can hold and does hold everything. It is the promise that God has created things good. That God's intention was goodness. That God wants you to be a part of that goodness and manufacturing that goodness in the world. The gospel doesn't start with sin, it doesn't start with, with us, it starts with the goodness of God. And the whole thing is about how that goodness of God continues to follow us, is relentless. In the words of the Jesus storybook Bible that we tell our kids, the never stopping, never ending, always and forever love of God. That is the gospel. And each week we get to reenact it as we come to the table. This is, this is, this is participation in the story. This is participation in the story because it's not just about forgiveness of your sins, which it is, but it is what God is doing to renew the world. And it's an invitation both to be renewed and to be a renewer. An invitation to, friends, it's an invitation to lay down all the counter narratives that you have absorbed through all the week the messages that you've absorbed through all the week and to center again on this gospel of God making all things new. Of God's kingdom and the reign of Jesus. In our lives, in the here and the now, in this people, and the people of God across the world. And the reign that will eventually be all in all. Each week we reenact this, we call ourselves back to this gospel story that centers on the person of Jesus, our Messiah. I would be remiss if I didn't say, if this story is something that you have not considered yet, let's talk about it. Let's talk about how your story finds itself in this beautiful story of God that centers on the person of Jesus. Let's think together. And friends, this is what discipleship is all about. Let's think together about what it means to align our story with this story, to align our lives with this story. Because it is big and it is beautiful. That's why we're here as a people, to help each other do that. Day in, day out, week in, week out. Cause this story, this gospel is good, and it's good news. Yeah Yes, yep. Yep. Thanks, Jeremy. About Here, use
0: that. Elvin uh, Martin, I said, yep. he was a pastor all of his life, and he lived a life that, it, 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 he was an example of Christ's love, and he cared about people. And he tried to tell people and talk to them about the Bible and different things. And when, I belonged to a Bible study at the time, and Elvin Martin and a number of other men, we met I think it was twice a month. And he made a statement one time, one time and it, it just shook me. He said, you know, whenever he talks to people who don't know Christ and he's trying to tell them the story and what the Bible says, and he said they would always say, they could always say, yeah, but this, what about this here? And he said the, the reality struck him was he, the, they could never argue about his experience his experience with God and how God's been in his life. And and the truth of that is, I say also is, when you're talking about how God's been working in your life, and as opposed to talking about what the Bible says you should do or not do or whatever, you you, you just express it in a way that the truth comes out, his, his truth, and um, I just think we can be the example of God's love in the Bible, what it says, with the life that we live, but we can also express that to others from your own experience and and what you're saying, well, we just love you and we love the message you had today.
1: (laughs) Well, thanks, Ken. Hospital Church, I'm not lying, spent four and a half hours last night. Brian and I were here for all four and a half telling testimonies. I mean, that was basically, and it was person after person after person after person. Just sharing that experience. Fun fact too, you guys might not know Elvin Miller, but that's Chelsea Miller's grandpa. Elvin Martin. Martin, sorry. Elvin Miller, I was thinking your last name, I was conflating the two. Yeah. Thanks, Ken. Servers, let's come forward, let's receive this again today.